Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. My Bible's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read one verse. I think incredibly appropriate for this past week. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We did a lot of glorifying to God this week, if that's the case, most of us. But that verse really is representative of the great theme of the Bible. And that is everything that we do, say, think about as Christians is to be aimed at bringing God glory. This morning we're coming to our sixth and final commitment of the vision plan. Hopefully you all received in the mail this week your Winter Lifeline, our churchwide magazine. And in the Lifeline you had summarized for you through articles the six commitments. And I'm not going to give you a test, I'm going to to remind you of them though. The first was uh, spiritual development. That we are committed that if someone comes to faith here or a child is born into our church, we are going to teach them the Word of God. And that will be the curriculum, God's Word that is, until the day that we die. Secondly, we are committed to reaching out to our community. And we're taking steps in that direction as far as restructuring our staff and uh, creating a facility here which is conducive to reaching the community. Thirdly, we're committed to planting and revitalizing churches outside of the four walls here, outside of our geographical footprint here. We believe the Lord wants us to plant churches where there aren't churches, particularly in the American West, and so we're committed to that. Fourthly, we're committed to excellence in the essentials. As a church, those essentials, remember, are worship, uh, Bible study, the ordinances, and we're committed to doing those things well and for the Lord's glory. And then fifthly, we saw last Sunday to faithful stewardship, specifically in the area of finances, that we are simply managers of what the Lord owns, and we want to do that in a way that is faithful and trustworthy. And that leads us to our sixth commitment today, which is the commitment to soli deo gloria. Now this past year, 2017, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was more than an event. It was a great worldwide movement back to a scriptural understanding of salvation and of the church. Remember the fundamental question of the Reformation was how can a man be made right with God? People were being taught that it is through the approval of the Pope or your priest or by the keeping of the sacraments or by doing so many acts of contrition. But the Bible teaches that salvation is by faith alone through the grace of Christ alone. And that's really what the Reformation was all about, a recovery of that fundamental truth. But out of the Reformation came five mottos, five rallying cries in Latin. The first was sola scriptura. That is the only place that we can find how to be made right with God is in the Word of God. It's not through papal decrees. It's not through councils that meet. It's through His revealed Word in the Holy Bible. And what is revealed in the Holy Bible about how to be made right with God right with God is through faith alone, which is sola fide, faith alone. Through grace alone, sola gratia. Through Christ alone, solus Christus. And overarching and undergirding all of the other solas is our sixth commitment, 
soli deo gloria. That is, everything only for God's glory. Now, please don't infer that because this is the last in a series of six commitments that it is the least important. In fact, nothing could be farther from the truth. In reality, our sixth commitment is the summation of all of the others. Now, here in this church, we talk about God's glory a lot. But have you ever stopped to ponder the question, how do you define God's glory? In the Old Testament, God's glory was often accompanied by blazing light. When the Hebrew children were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God's manifest presence came through a pillar of fire, a blazing light, the Shekinah glory of God. But the very manifestation of God's holiness is what we mean when we talk about God's glory. John Piper defines it this way. The glory of God is God's holiness set on display, His infinite worth made manifest. Now, if that is a good definition, I believe it is, then to glorify God means to make much of His uniqueness. That is, to make what makes God different than any other God or any other being clear for others to see. And that really is our fundamental job as a church, to help a lost and dying world see the goodness, the greatness, the holiness of the God we serve. And so with that definition in mind, uh, let, let's read once again our text. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Paul says, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now this verse, like all Bible verses, is set in a specific historical context. It's in the city of Corinth, obviously. Paul is writing to the believers, the Corinthian believers. If you know anything about the city of Corinth, you know that it was a, an exceedingly wicked place. It was a crossroads of commerce. It was also an epicenter of paganism. False deities were worshipped there. And so you have this little group of Christians who's been called out of that pagan lifestyle, yet still living in that city. And they're trying to negotiate being a brand new person in Christ, but still seeing the same people they used to see, still shopping in the same places, still living in the same city. And I think we can feel that tension as Christians, increasingly living in this country. How do we negotiate living in this country that is increasingly hostile to the things of God and yet having to go to work and go to school with people who despise the things of God. That's what was going on in Corinth. It's what's been going on for 2,000 years. And so Paul says that you have to have at the forefront of your mind every day that you're here to give glory to God. Now the specific context was having to do with food, specifically meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So remember I said that Corinth was a place where people worshiped false deities. And one of the ways they worshipped is they would sacrifice animals, cows and sheep, goats, to these false gods. And then they would take the meat and sell it in the public market. And so one of the questions the Corinthian believers have, is it a sin to eat meat that has been sacrificed to these pagan gods? Well, Paul's conscience was clear. He said, look, it's just an animal. Paul was like me, he liked a good steak. And so he didn't have any problem eating it. It's just, just a false god anyway. It didn't have any meaning. But some people were having their consciences bothered by it. And he says, look, I'm not going to cause anybody to bother their conscience. And so on a personal level, Paul says in another portion of Scripture, if eating meat is going to offend my brother, I won't eat any meat anymore. I'll become a vegetarian. And so uh, he says, though, 
to eat whatever's put before you. Don't ask a lot of questions about it. But if your conscience is bothered, it's okay to abstain. But here's the primary point. This is the summation of everything he said in this chapter. Whatever you do, whether you choose to eat or not to eat, to drink or not to drink, make sure that whatever you do, you're doing it motivated by the glory of God. And so that's really the text today that I want to jump off from as we talk about our sixth commitment, Soli Deo Gloria, living your life to the glory of God. Three points. Sola Deo Gloria in the little things, in the big things, and in all things. First of all, in the little things. Now what can be more mundane or common than eating and drinking? We do it every day. We don't give much thought to it. But Paul says even in the mundane and common things of life, you need to have the glory of God on your heart and mind. Because after all, that's why we're here on this planet. Isaiah 43, 7 says, you were created for His glory. But not only were human beings created to give God glory, all things were created to give God glory. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That is, you look out at night and you see the canopy of stars. You see a, a bird come across with his song. You hear uh, a newborn baby cry. All of those things give evidence of the uniqueness, the holiness the separateness of God. All of creation then has the same purpose, which is to give God glory. Well, if that's true of birds and trees and chirping insects, how much more so the people of God. Our purpose, our reason for existence is to give God glory. And so there's implications to that. Everything we do in this life, on this planet that God created for His glory, is to be motivated to give Him glory. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And when you come to understand this rightly, it will change your life, change every relationship you have. For example, when you come to understand that you are married to give God glory, it changes your marriage. Did you know that God gives us marriage to show His love for His people? That's what marriage is all about. Occasionally, I'll have a couple who come to see me in my office and I say, well, we just don't feel like we used to. We don't love each other anymore. So we're, we're contemplating separating and, and being divorced. And, and really, the only thought many of those couples have is how it affects them or how it might affect their children or grandchildren. And so the question I often ask is, what do you think this will do for God's glory? Will this make Him better known in the community or, or less known in the community? And so that's what it means to put God's glory at the foremost of everything you do. Well, there's marriage, there's, there's child rearing. A couple of Sundays ago, we, we lined the front of this building with young couples who were dedicating children to the Lord. It was a wonderful day. But every one of those couples is required to take a class called the Deuteronomy 6 Academy. You might recall that Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament is the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And God commanded His chosen people to teach their children when they got up in the morning to the time they went to bed at night throughout the day about who He was, about His uniqueness and separateness. That is, even raising children is to be done for the glory of God. I'll take it a step farther. What about our, our work life? You know, a lot of people have the idea that their job is, is just what they do between weekends. That's not a biblical understanding of, of work and vocation. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily 
as for the Lord rather than men. Now, whatever you do, whatever vocation you're in, do your work as unto the Lord. If you'll start your day every morning with that prayer, Lord, I'm going to a job. Maybe you don't love it, but it's the way the Lord has given you to make a living for your family, to be a good steward, as we saw last week. Give him thanks for that job, and then ask him, Lord, show me ways that I can use this job to glorify you. Some of you know that uh, I grew up working on a farm. And when I was a teenager, I contemplated a lot of my summer afternoons riding a John Deere tractor thinking, how can I get away from here? But as I became a middle-aged man, I spent a lot of my time thinking, how can I get back on the farm? <laughs> a few months ago, the Lord uh, blessed our family, been able to buy a little piece of property and out in East Texas, and we've been going out when we have some time. And we have a man in our church who's a very good farmer, and he has helped me a lot. And a couple of weekends ago, he and his wife... Uh, asked me to come and dig up some blueberries from their farm and take them and transplant them to my farm. And uh, we did that, and they actually came with me and showed me how to do it and helped me. My little boy was with me, and we dug those holes and planted those blueberries. And did you know this gentleman who's a member of our church got down on his knees with my little boy, and he asked God to bless those blueberries. That's what it means to give God glory in everything you do, even farming is a way to give God glory. Whether you play an instrument, these wonderful orchestra players do their work as unto the Lord. It's evident. Ever heard of a guy by the name of Mozart? He was a pretty good musician. You might have noticed that on many of his compositions, right down at the bottom of the page, instead of signing his name, he would simply write the initials S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. He composed music for the glory of of God. Whether you drive a nail, whether you program a computer, moms, whether you change a diaper, do it for the glory of God. Now how far do we go with that? He says in everything. Everything. I have an article on my desk that I, I didn't get to when I was preparing this sermon. I'm looking forward to reading it next week because the title caught my attention. The title was this, Drinking Orange Juice for the Glory of God. <laughs> Whatever you do, whether you eat and drink, do it for the glory of of God. That's what I mean by the little things. Just the everyday things of life have the idea of how can this make much of God. And secondly is the big things. When I'm talking about big things, I'm talking about the big things for believers and for the church. One of the big things we do is we worship, don't we? Psalm 96.1.3, listen, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation day to day. Now hear this. Tell of his glory among the nations. It's one of our primary jobs as Christians is to worship God. Yes, so that we will be reminded of his goodness to us. But in doing so, we tell of his glory to the nations. And that leads to another big thing we do is missions and evangelism. Again, John Piper says evangelism exists because worship doesn't. I've heard that quote all my life, and only recently, I think, come to understand what it means. Worship, uh, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Because as, as Baptists, we know we should be evangelizing. We, we know we should be doing more than we do in telling others about Jesus. But we're motivated by a number of things. One is simple obedience. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so if we didn't have any other motivation in the world other than that we want to be obedient to our master, 
that would be enough. We have all we need to do evangelism in that commandment. But there's much more. We're also to be motivated by compassion. Jesus was not a stone-faced cynic when it came to evangelism. In fact, we see Jesus in the New Testament looking down over Jerusalem. I take it in tears, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, how many times I would have gathered you as a mother hen does her brood, but you would not. I think of the Apostle Paul, thinking of his own nation, Israel, saying, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. Paul was emotional when he thought about the lostness all around him. That's a great motivator, it's compassion. But I think a still greater motivator is zeal for God's glory. And what Piper meant is that we live in a dark world in which countless billions of people are not glorifying God. And he deserves to be glorified, would you agree? And so what ought to motivate us to take the gospel to those places where Jesus is unknown is that when they know Jesus, now they can start glorifying him and giving him the praise that he is deserving of. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul once again. Remember when he came to uh, the city of Athens? And this was this center of learning. And yet right here in this center of learning were hundreds and probably thousands of false gods, these statues. They had statue for every god they could think of. They wanted to make sure they didn't leave any out. And unless they had forgotten one, they had a statue that had emblazoned on it to an unknown god. And Paul, the scripture says, was moved. He was vexed. Here they have these people with obviously great intellect, and yet they don't understand what they were created for. They're worshiping things that are just pieces of stone and wood. And so he gets up and he preaches the gospel. He brings the light of the gospel into a city that thought it was the light of the world. This past week, my old college roommate sent me a text with a picture of himself standing on that mountain in Athens where Paul preached. And I said, you are at best the second best preacher that has stood right there. But I often think of Paul and the zeal that he had for the Lord's glory that motivated him to witness. What about our mercy ministries? Mercy ministries are those things we do in the name of the Lord to help people. The Bible says, let your, your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. I think our adoption ministry we've been emphasizing this month is an example of that. We don't do adoption here so that people can say, oh, what great people you are. How amazing you are. Now, people might say those things, but use that as an opportunity to deflect that and reflect it back to God. We do this because we believe it glorifies God, which is our reason for existence. Whether you give a cup of cold water to the thirsty, or clothes to the naked, visit a prisoner, do that for the glory of your Father. So in the little things of life, the mundane, give glory to God. In the big things, in worship, evangelism, missions, and ministry, do it to the glory of God. And then ultimately do all things for the glory of God. I'm speaking now of as it relates specifically to the future of First Baptist Keller and our vision plan. I've been talking a lot about our vision plan. How we see the Lord leading us in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And throughout this over year long process, I've been 
contemplating one word a lot, which is motivation. As we've done an audit on all of our ministries and all of our finances, so many things going on in the life of our church. Overwhelming even to think about the amount of ministry going on here. The question is why? Why are we doing all this? Why are we expending so much energy and and resources? It's okay, and I think even good, to question your own motivation from time to time. Why are we adding new Sunday school departments? Why are we contemplating building another building? Why are we adding staff? Why do we do what we do? I think as we do these things, we need to ask ourselves some diagnostic questions. Number one is, is it needed? Sometimes we just spend money because we have it. And and being a good steward doesn't allow for that. We spend as need arises. That is a commitment to our vision plan. If it's not needed, we'll give it away and let someone else do it. Secondly, does it manifest personal or corporate pride? Are we doing this to put another mark on our gun? Are we doing it so people will say, wow, what a great church that is? Or are we doing it to make much of God? That's the third question. Who are we trying to make much of? You know, most of the world spends their life trying to make much of themselves. A fundamental difference between the world and biblical Christianity is that we spend our lives making much of God. And in our vision plan, the question is, will this make much of God? Now, there's some other questions. I I think these next four questions are very helpful on a personal level. I try to use these questions in my own life when I'm trying to determine God's will for my life. The first question is this, what does Scripture say about it? Remember we said last week, if you come to a fork in the road, take it? Well, you have to know which fork to take. And the Holy Spirit is given to believers, the Bible says, to lead us to all truth. He will help us make those good and God-honoring decisions. But one of the questions we have to ask in that decision is, does the Bible have anything to say? And where the Bible is very clear, it may mean we don't have to ask any more questions. For example, if you're contemplating the question, should I rob the bank Monday morning? Let's go to the Bible. What does it have to say? Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not steal. Put your Bible up. Don't think about it anymore. You don't have to wonder if it's God's will for you to rob the bank. It's not. Husband, on a business trip, is it God's will for me to have an affair? No, it's not God's will. Thou shalt not commit Adultery. You see what I mean? Sometimes the Bible is very clear. Now, on other things, the Bible is less clear and oftentimes even silent. And so you've got a teenager deciding which of the three colleges they've been accepted to they should attend. Pastor, should I go to TCU, Oklahoma State, or Vanderbilt? Well, uh, the parent's probably going to say the one that has the lowest tuition, right? But I'm going to say to the child, the Bible doesn't say. I can't give you a verse in the Bible that tells you which college to go to. So the Bible is silent. Now there are principles of stewardship that we could bring to bear. But the Bible doesn't tell you which college to go to. So you have to go to the next question, which is, does it conflict with godly counsel? The Bible says there is wisdom in many counselors. And so that's why we put the vision team together, which, by the way, we're made up primarily of the chairman of committees. And so there are a thousand people in our church who would have served very well, but these 50 were representative of all of you, and they were prayerful through the process, but we heard from them. Now the staff had been praying about this for a long time, and we sensed the Lord's direction, but we wanted to hear 
from the church. And if those representatives from the church said, look, we don't think this is a good idea, we'd listen to that. Because the Bible says there's wisdom in many counselors. Probably that's a good idea for your life. If you've got a big decision to make and you go to some of your godly friends and, and you tell them the decision, and then they say, look, we, we don't think that's a good idea. You need to listen to that. Now remember, they're human like you are. They can be wrong, just like you can be wrong. But if, especially if there are multiple people telling you this is a bad idea, that'd be something you need to take seriously. Well, if, if no one is saying it's a bad idea, move to step three, which is do I have personal peace in my spirit? Now God gives us the indwelling presence of the spirit, but he often speaks through what he calls his still small voice, which is very difficult to find. Other than the Lord sometimes will give you an, a lack of rest or an unsettled feeling if you're about to do something wrong. Have you ever had that? Well, you can't really put your finger on it, but you just know this, this isn't a good idea. And I would say to you, don't ever ignore that. Now, sometimes that's just the pizza you had the night before, okay? But sometimes it's the Lord trying to prevent you from making a serious mistake. I will tell you this. Of the mistakes I've made in my life, which are manifold, um, the worst mistakes I've made is where I have chosen to ignore those red flags, where I just can't be peaceful about it, but I just go ahead and rush in and don't do that. And so then, then finally, the ultimate test is, will this glorify God? And, and if even the first three of those is affirmative, if God cannot be glorified in your decision, do not do it. Because our very reason for existence in all things, whether we eat or drink, is to glorify God. Now through this vision planning process, we've used this grid. And so we've said, what does the scripture have to say? Well, the scripture says, consider the ant. He plans. He has a strategy for the future. So we've said, well, it's not wrong to plan or have a strategy. So we move forward. Does it conflict with godly counsel? We prayed about it for months. Everyone agreed. We, we sensed God is calling us to move forward. Did we have peace? All of us said, yes, we do. It was a unanimous vote. And then we believed to a person that this will glorify God. In fact, we put that underlining and overarching everything we plan to do. That, Lord, we want you to be glorified in it and through it. And so I, I stand before you as your pastor and say... I'm a human being, but to the best of my discernment, I believe this is how the Lord wants us to proceed as a church. I, I put my very name and reputation on it. I am convinced this is how the Lord wants us to lead. So, put it on your calendar, December 31st. For the last 10 or 12 years, uh, at the last Sunday of the year, or the first Sunday of the year, sometimes I've been doing a State of the Church address. We're going to do that this year, December 31st. I know it's a holiday. I know a lot of you are going to be out of town, but if you possibly can be here, please be here. Because as a church family, we're going to talk about specifics of the vision plan. We've been kind of talking in generalities, but on the 31st, we're going to put some real meat to this uh, outline that we've been giving you, and you'll want to be here for that. And then on January the 7th, 5.30 Sunday evening, we're going to have a town hall meeting. We're going to have the chairman of the committees and myself, we're going to give a presentation. We're going to have microphones in the audience. You can ask any question to any committee member. We're going to do our best to be transparent and open. And then one month later on a Sunday morning, we'll vote yes or no to move forward with this as a church family. 
Now, regardless of how that vote goes, on April the 1st, Lord willing, we're going to announce that we are, for the first time in 25 years, debt-free. And then we're going to praise the Lord for a good long time. And then we're going to get busy on the Lord's work for the future of First Baptist Church of Keller. But whatever that means, we know this. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, or build a building or don't build a program, a, a, a building, whether we add staff or don't add staff, whatever we do, it's going to be aimed at giving God glory. Amen? Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so good to us. Lord, you give us a reason for living. So many people in the world don't even see a reason to live. But if we know you, we have a reason. And that is to glorify you in everything we do, in the small things and mundane and common things of life, all the way up to the biggest things of life, salvation and evangelism. All of it's for your glory. Father, we know that we are but managers and stewards. We don't know if we're going to be here to see any of this in our lifetime. But we sense your spirit moving us and leading us forward. So we simply want to be obedient. Father, to move ahead where you give us the direction. So Father, I thank you for all who have served faithfully on this vision team. Thank you for our staff who have contributed so well. Thank you for prayer team, Lord, who's undergirded this thing in prayer support. And Father, we look forward to the 31st when we can uh, talk more specifically about the plans for the future. Lord, until then, help us to live every day and every moment in an air and attitude of bringing glory to you with every second of our life. And when that happens, Father, once again, we'll just thank you for that and give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.